What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shaped Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, joining you from Jupiter, Florida, once again, Wednesday, February 24th, as the Cardinals had a little bit of a different feel to camp today. Their annual PFP Championship Tournament, the Pitchers Fielding Practice Competition that has been run every year since Mike Schilt became the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals and then had the opportunity in 2019 to run the camp the way he wanted to do it for the first time. And he implemented this competition that has been a lot of fun each year the Cardinals have done it. It's the pitchers that are primarily uh, involved in this. Uh, There was a, a catching blocking competition that was kind of added to the schedule this year compared to previous years when evidently that had been going on indoors, behind closed doors, where nobody could see or know that it was going on from the outside. Uh, But this year they did that outside because, of course, they're doing everything outside, trying to adhere to the COVID-19 protocols that are happening across Major League Baseball this spring. So the way it works is the Cardinals pitchers are divided into teams that are captained by and drafted by the veteran-most pitchers from the group. I believe there are six teams today. The captains, Adam Wainwright, Andrew Miller, Carlos Martinez, Jack Flaherty, John Gant, and the champion captain of the day, Miles Michaelis, who selected his team, Jordan Hicks, Tyler Webb, Tommy Parsons, and Matthew Libertor, Miles being the fifth member of that team, and they end up winning the championship today. Admittedly, we did not get nearly as good of a view of the proceedings as we did, say, the last two years. Uh, the, the protocols have us in the watchtower in the middle of the Cardinals quad. Uh, so during the, the main portion of the competition, we could see the different fields around that various stations were taking place. There was a drill where pitchers have to field pop-ups, a drill to cover the home plate on a wild pitch situation, and it's kind of the little things that we talk about throughout the season that pitchers occasionally have to do, and it could make or break a game, really, in certain situations, covering first base, things like that, ground balls. You know, there there are all these different drills that uh, hopefully, for the Cardinals' sake, will instill uh, the muscle memory to be able to perform them if and when they're ever necessary in a game-like situation during the regular season, the postseason, what have you. But when they're doing the, uh, I guess you could call it the preliminary rounds of the competition, they have groups in various stations. They go from station to station and compete. The coaches there that are running each station give them scores, and then it is determined after everybody completes each station which teams have advanced to the finals. And it's honestly a real shame that we didn't get a very good look at this because while we saw the preliminary rounds, everybody starts walking over to the main field that's over by the clubhouse after those rounds were finished, and we're over there in the watchtower going, oh no, oh no, they're not going to be around. So we kind of had to peer through some fencing to get a look at what was going on uh, off in the distance during the championship rounds. But the reason I say it's such a shame is, and if you remember, if you listened to the podcast last year or have read me at KMOV.com, I was a big fan of Brian Eversgird, the Cardinals bullpen coach, who hits the fungos during what has always been, each year, my favorite station during this tournament. And they call it wall ball or rag ball, depending on who you talk to. And basically, the the, the coach, which Eversgird serves in this role, 
every chance he gets because you can tell he freaking loves it. Um, I, I wrote a full story about it last year if you want to dig it up uh, at KMOV.com. But he basically stands there, a, a, you know, distance away that would be comparable to the pitcher's mound, uh, maybe even a little bit closer to, to make it a little tougher on the pitchers. And the pitchers stand in front of a wall, and he just rifles fungos at them, and they've got to catch them, they've got to block them, knock it down, whatever you can do to keep it in front of you. You get various points uh, for how well you perform the drill. And the reason I was bumming so hard when I saw everybody walking away and that we wouldn't really get a good glimpse of the championship is because I just wanted to see Gertie, Brian Eversgird, hitting fungos in the final, man. The guy has a blast doing it. And whereas in past years, the final round competition was determined either by the teams or another measure in, in last year's deal, I don't think it was... Uh, two years ago, I remember they got to both teams got to select a drill to compete in, and then last year I think they just did ground balls uh, because it was probably easiest uh, to set up over there on the main field. But for this year, they recognized Brian Eversgird is the main attraction of the PFP Championship, and so they put him on the main stage. It's just we didn't get a look at it, so um, I'm sure the energy over there was pretty good. You could hear some hooping and hollering, but. Unfortunately, we just don't have a whole lot of insight to bring you with regard to how that final competition went down. We did hear from two of the members of the winning team via Zoom afterwards, Miles Michaelis, the captain, and Matthew Libertor, who was drafted in the mid-rounds by Michaelis uh, during the competition, and honestly had some interesting thoughts on the Zoom session because he kind of talked about and drew back on his experiences in high school about the ways that younger players can feel more integrated in what the team is all about with their teammates, with that kind of camaraderie, when you get to experience competitions and contests like this. I think that kind of stuff is invaluable. You know, I experienced it in high school a little bit, being a freshman on the varsity team and not necessarily feeling comfortable going up to the seniors and being able to talk to them. And when I became a senior and I was in a role of uh, a little more respect and command um, from the younger guys, I made it a point that we were approachable just as easily as any of the coaches were. Um, so on a similar note, I think, you know, getting to gel with these guys a little bit in spring training and off the field and even doing stuff like we did today um, makes it a lot easier to go out on the field and compete when that time comes and you don't have to worry about feeling like, am I accepted or not accepted or do these guys like me or not like me? Um, you know, you have a good relationship with those guys before you ever take that first step onto the field, and I think it makes it that much easier to just go out and take care of business when the time comes. So that's Matthew Libertor talking about the benefits of an event like the PFP tournament the Cardinals run every year. I think it's a credit to Mike Schilt and his staff that they're able to do some things creatively, inspire some competition within camp, especially in the days of spring training where there are no games yet to be played. Uh, you know, spring training is long for these guys, and a lot of them, by the time it gets toward the end of it, you know, they're glad to see it be over. They're ready to get the season started. But these early days of camp when you don't have games to play yet can definitely be repetitive. And so it's a great way to kind of in the middle of this week of full squad workouts without games being played. It's a great way to kind of lighten things up. And the position players get a kick out of it, too. They get their work in, and then when they're all finished, they'll go over and watch the championship round. So definitely a great team-building thing, as Matthew Libertor alluded to there. Uh, listen, for the younger guys, it's a great way, obviously, to be able to get integrated a little bit. And it's it's something that, you know, they're having to do things differently this year 
because of COVID, you're not able to mill around in the clubhouse and walk off over to a guy's locker stall if there's somebody you would like to you know meet more formally or get to know a little bit better. Like there's a lot of guys in that clubhouse under normal circumstances, and it it's kind of a, an interesting environment where you know people might be separated off into their kind of groups or their cliques or whatever where where they've got their 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 buddies and stuff like that. But it's still a large room with a lot of people, and there the opportunity is there to be able to kind of make small talk and get to know guys a little bit better for these players. So they're having to do that in different ways. I think it's great that the PFP deal is uh, still something that they were able to do. It honestly makes sense that it wasn't impacted by COVID because the way they do it in, in general is station to station groups of five or six that are competing uh, against one another, but they're all just doing one station at a time. So worked out well. Uh, I, it did look like off in the distance that they had a lot of the team out there watching the championship round but I honestly couldn't tell you how many it was um, because we just we did not have a very good look through the fencing as it were so not a whole lot to say about that definitely good that they uh, they kept it like Mike Michael has said he told his team hey look we're not trying to win this thing we're trying to you know not finish last and that strategy apparently worked out kept them loose and they were able to get the win or as Matthew Libertor phrased it got the dub and probably going to work out for them in a tangible way too because I, if I recall last year, uh, the way it worked is the winning team, which was John Brebbia's squad, they got to have an extra day off during camp, which is something that maybe not as valuable this year when the players aren't supposed to be going and, and doing a whole lot in public, but certainly still nice throughout camp to have a, a day off. And so if they do it the way they did it last year, that would be a reward that the winning team got for their victory but only so much you can say about the ins and outs and the minutia of the pfp tournament but i do want to talk a little bit more for the rest of this episode of the podcast about matthew libertor because he had some other interesting things to say and going to play some audio from him you think about him a guy who came over in the trade that brought randy rosarena to tampa bay and of course he ends up being a breakout hero in the postseason and a lot of people look at that and say, well, man, couldn't the Cardinals have you know, given up somebody else for Libertor? Or was it even worth it to go get him and give up this star player? Like, my goodness, what could Randy or Rosarena be doing for this outfield right now? Totally fair assessments and questions to be asked about the situation. And we've talked about it before, too, that if there was that opportunity to have traded somebody besides Randy, from that outfield group, no offense to any of the guys that are still here, but I mean, probably would have benefited the Cardinals if, if, if the guy that Randy Rosarena is, is the one that we saw throughout the postseason and World Series last year. So, it's definitely something that's been talked about and is is fair to ask about. Uh, but as for Matthew Libertor, it's not really something he's thinking about, and that's you know probably the expectation that you would have for a young player, uh, you know, trying to make his way, but. Still, when you see Randy Rosarena do what he did on the scale that he did a year ago and recognize that you were the guy that was traded for that guy, it would be only natural to have that at least impact your your mindset a little bit or have it creep into your frame of reference at some point in time. But according to Libertor, that's not really something that happened for him. I watched a lot of the postseason, and I did watch Rosarena, you know, obviously coming from the race, too. I wanted to see how they performed. Uh, in the postseason again, um, I don't really feel like I ever it ever crossed my mind like, oh, that's the guy I got traded for. I have expectations now that I have to live up to. 
Um, at the end of the day, like my competition is myself. So, you know, I wish him all the best. I want to see him go out there and have success. And when it comes to what I need to take care of, I'm looking in the mirror every day and competing against that guy. So um, I don't feel like there's any added pressure on me or added expectations because of the way that he performed. And at the end of the day, I'm happy that he did what he did in the postseason. So um, there's no grudges there or anything like that. And so I thought that was the best answer, really, that he could have given, and it seemed genuine that it just isn't something that he really considered. And I think he's the kind of guy that Cardinals fans are going to find out, the the kind of competitor that he is. And it's going to be really interesting to just see what his track ends up being. Obviously, losing last season as an opportunity to you know continue to get games in advance, you know he probably would have started maybe again at, at high A ball, but does he start at Springfield or does he you know, get to Springfield and then maybe elevate to AAA or or even last year, if, if it had been a normal season, would he have had an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues? Like, I don't think it's impossible. It's probably a stretch, but it, it wasn't maybe outside the realm of possibility that he would have been able to have that trajectory. But without being able to play games, you really have no way to measure in a tangible way, um, you know, what, what the progress is. Now, they were measuring and they were taking stock and note of what was going on down at the alternate camp last year where Matthew Libertor, along with other prospects like Nolan Gorman, those guys were down there the whole time getting work in in an informal slash formal way, like as formal as they could make it without playing games against other teams. But, you know, it's just not the same. And so it's a, it's kind of difficult to gauge, you know, okay, what's his trajectory? What could his path be? for this coming season based on where he starts and where he wants to get. But I wouldn't be surprised if Libertor ends up being a guy that if he's able to have a little bit of success early, he's going to he's gonna grab hold of that and, and build on it throughout a season to be able to try to accelerate toward the major leagues at some point. Maybe not quite this year. Uh, you know, I mentioned that it would have been unlikely, but perhaps possible last year. That doesn't mean that this year is going to be an exact redux of what last year would have been for him. Uh, I don't think it puts him a full year behind schedule. Um, I think that he's a, a little more mature, a little more, you know, a little more experienced, older. That kind of lends itself to, even though he didn't play formal games last year, would his chances of making the big leagues at some point in 2021 be any higher than comparing that to? Okay, a normal 2020 season, what would his chances have been? Yeah, I think that that's that's fair to say. So again, just like I said with last year, normal season might have been possible. This year, I would say still possible, even a little bit more so. But I don't know that it's a guarantee, certainly. And, and a lot of that's going to depend probably on the minor league seasons and, and how much work he's able to get in at the different stops. I know the plan is to have a minor league season start up and, and, and be a full go. But it's going to be interesting to see how, at the lower levels, they're going to be able to battle the pandemic and battle COVID and, and you know, the, the testing situation for Major League Baseball last year. There was a lot that they had to learn to be able to, to pull that off, and it still didn't go off without its hitches, right? And so you add in multiple layers of, of minor league competition. I'm just saying it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to to adapt and handle that, especially assuming that vaccines are not widely distributed enough um, by, you know, early summer to be able to get everybody vaccinated. Major League Baseball would love to be able to get guys vaccinated, but then you're talking about minor leagues. On top of that, it's going to be a process and it's going to take some time. But at the end of the day, I do think there was some value that Libertor, Gorman, those guys got from being at the alternate site last year. And it's a question that I asked Libertor about today 
the concept that, okay, sure, everybody would have liked to have been playing games at whatever level they would have been performing at, whether it's A-ball, double-A, triple-A, whatever. Like, that would have been ideal, the circumstances of a traditional season. But what I asked him today is, and you'll hear the question and his answer in just a moment, was kind of wondering, were there some benefits to actually having that opportunity in the alternate site last year that you maybe wouldn't have had in any other year? That's what I was curious about. And here was the exchange between myself and Matthew Libertor. Matt, do you almost feel like that experience last year at the alternate site was almost in some ways better for your development in that you got some opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise had in a normal season? I recognize not getting to play games was probably a bummer, but that there was some, some things that it's like, oh, this wouldn't have happened under other circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to go up to uh, Bush when Yachty and Paul DeYoung were coming back from uh, being on the aisle for COVID, and I got to face them for, you know, five, six at best that day, and then with all the guys coming back and forth between big league camp and uh, the taxi squad and all that kind of stuff, I got to face a lot of guys that I probably wouldn't have gotten to face throughout a regular season. And because of that, I also got a lot of feedback that I wouldn't have gotten facing, you know, guys on another team, you know, to go talk to them after the ABs and, and the alternate site, you know, I could face a guy and he gets a hit off me and I get, I go straight up to him and say, Hey, what'd you see? Why'd you swing at that? You know, what happened? Um, and I feel like that was extremely beneficial and something that certainly wouldn't have happened given different circumstances. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting concept because minor leaguers that are pretty much A-ball guys, maybe going to crack double A at the beginning of a season, those guys aren't getting that experience facing Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung and getting feedback from those guys in real time at that age. Like That's just not something that happens outside of a, a spring training environment. And it happened consistently for the guys, especially the pitchers that were at the alternate site last year, uh, because you, you've got guys coming down and, and, and rehabbing and trying to work through uh, their, you know, the, the illness, whether they were diagnosed with COVID or whatever other injuries were going on. That was just kind of a natural place uh, to be able to, to run some of those guys back into the groove of things. And I think the younger guys like Libertor in particular benefited from that. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how that kind of manifests itself into his performance in 2021, regardless of where he starts. You know, you look at his only experience so far professionally being at age 18 playing rookie ball. And then in 2019, his age 19 season, he played in, in low a in Bowling green. That was an affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays at the time. So, you know, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see a, where the Cardinals want to put him and B how he'll adapt to that level right away because you would expect like a natural progression if a guy goes rookie to A ball, maybe high A, gets their feet wet at double A, maybe has to get knocked back down to high A for a little bit because he, you know, sometimes doesn't thrive right away. But does that extra experience that he had last year against legitimate bona fide professional hitters at the alternate site, does that help him perhaps in his development be able to to, to push a little bit more quickly and not have to go through some of those pitfalls that you go up against in you know when you're facing higher competition. I think it's fascinating, and it's going to be fun to watch to see uh, what Libertor is able to do, not only this year, but as his career grows. Because the kid's still pretty young, right? You know, he was just drafted in that same year as Nolan Gorman was in the first round of the 2018 draft. And so uh, he's just 21 years of age. He'll turn 22 in November after the season. And it'll be it'll be great to watch him progress. Uh, certainly, could be someone a left-handed pitcher could be a phenomenal asset for the Cardinals' starting rotation a couple of years from now, or maybe even sooner. Who who knows? 
But that'll kind of wrap up the conversation on Matthew Libertor. Did want to make a couple of notes before I got out of here for this episode about just some things we're noticing from spring camp. Because traditionally, this is the time of year where, as I've talked about on the podcast, you end up losing a pitcher or two to injury. So far, nothing like that has cropped up out of Cardinals camp as of yet. But when you're watching different guys trying to be on the lookout for certain things that could come about, Kwon Young Kim yesterday was just throwing a bullpen, as we talked about, rather than live BP. Mike Schultz said that was just standard for a veteran maintenance situation for a guy like him, not something they're concerned about. That's just part of his natural schedule that they're going to work with him on. No injury concern there. He was a participant in the PFP today. We were able to get eyes on him, and and he appeared to be participating just like anybody else. So as far as we know, everything good on the injury front with him as of right now. Miles Michaelis, obviously coming off of an injury that cost him his 2020 season, and when he was throwing his bullpen yesterday, kind of noticed that he really wasn't throwing what appeared to be max effort. Kind of throwing, uh, you know, curveballs, really just kind of working on some things. And that ended up being, after I asked Michaelis about that today, you know, just how he felt with everything. And he said yesterday was just light touch and feel, working on rhythm and tempo, getting out of the stretch. It feels good. I'm bouncing back well. That's what Miles had to say about his session yesterday that just watching it, you go, well, you see these other guys ramping up and it just doesn't really look like he's doing that as much. Um, but according to the man himself, everything feels good and there's no update right now on that. So they've, they've said all along, they expect him to be ready to go for the season. He said today that he's not certain about what his schedule will look like and his plans for, you know, getting on the mound and pitching in games. He said some of those outings will probably happen on the backfield um, his first and maybe even his second outing, he said, uh, just to make it a little more controllable so he doesn't have to throw too many pitches uh, because they'll probably have him on account and they'll want to kind of stick to that. So as, you know, if, if you're in the middle of an at-bat in the backfield, that's fine. You can stop pitching. You don't have to actually finish the A-B, whereas you got to finish out an inning uh, if you're pitching in a Grapefruit League game. So probably won't see Miles Michaelis right away, but based on what he's saying, uh, their plan for him will be to get him integrated as spring goes along. That's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for joining and listening to the episode. Make sure you subscribe if you've not done so already. I don't know what you're waiting for. I talk about it every day, right? So head on over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of the other places, Pocket Cast, Overcast. There's a lot of casts that you can find B-Shape Daily within and if you don't know which app you want to use, go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12, click on more platforms, and you'll be able to see all the options, various choices for your listening pleasure. Once again, appreciate you guys for tagging along, and we will talk to you tomorrow from Jupiter, Florida.